0: Welcome to the one and only Circle City Cinema with your host and the one and only, Zach Griffin. Hello, hello. Welcome into Circle City Cinema. Another monologue for you guys. I'm talking about the Snyder Cut tonight. Um, this, uh, will not, unlike the movie, (laughs) this will not be a four hour pod. This will be uh much shorter, but, uh, you could make a case that in a normal year, this would have been the biggest movie of the year, both financially and maybe from a cultural sense. I mean, this, the amount of hype, I mean, if you listen to circle city cinema, you know, uh, we have documented, the Snyder Cut and its development, I think, pretty well. Um, you know, we I had conflicting thoughts about it, but I got to say, I loved it. I, I fucking loved it. It was blew all my expectations. I, I think it's Zack Snyder's best work, and I, I've been on the record. I think Zack Snyder is a, a really good director, honestly. You know his movies um, are going to bring the heat every time. It's. I was just totally blown away. I didn't even care that it was four hours. That was a total afterthought to me. Such an improvement over the dumpster fire that was the theatrical release. I just, I was totally floored by this. It was a hell of a two day run between this and a Falcon and Winter Soldier premiering. But it was it was awesome. I'm gonna glow about it probably most of this show and the one thing I'm not going to glow about uh, you can probably guess if you've heard me talk about a certain character and portrayal but it's mostly going to be upbeat, positive I, I love this movie, loved everything about it and let's dive in we got some news though uh, Black Widow will be released in select theaters and on Disney Plus on July 9th Uh, In similar fashion, Shang-Chi on September 3rd, Eternals on November 5th, and Spider-Man No Way Home on December 17th. Now, if you've been following the box office numbers of Godzilla vs. Kong, it did pretty well overseas. It made over, I think, well over $120 overseas and with a limited release here in America. So, I... It just sucks because I really... Watching an MCU movie on Disney Plus just doesn't seem right. I mean, I've seen, I think I've seen them all in the theater. Um, I just don't, I don't want to sit at home on Disney Plus and watch a movie like Black Widow or a a movie like Eternals, which I think has serious capabilities of being epic, a truly epic viewing experience. Same thing with Shang-Chi and honestly, same thing with No Way Home. I just, hopefully by the time no way home comes out in December, you know, theaters will be more open around more of the country, but you know, I, we can only hope I don't, I don't want to be watching Spider-Man no way home on my ass at home. (laughs) I I don't want that, but uh, I get, I get Disney's and Marvel's uh, maneuver here. You know, it's, you know, it's still an unprecedented thing. It's got—I mean, it's gotten better, definitely. But it's—it's uh, it's sad. It's sad driving by, you know, your hometown theater, and it's just empty, just empty. And you miss—you miss seeing movies like this in the theater. You really do. And in other news, Jessica Walter, who was a star on Arrested Development, has died at the age of eighty. I watched a couple seasons of Arrested Development, and I really enjoyed it. I just I thought it was one of the best sitcoms I'd ever seen and really kind of revolutionary um but yeah she passes away at the age of 80 last week um you know a tough loss we've had some tough losses in Hollywood between her and Sean Connery and Christopher Plummer you know it's been tough but and Chadwick Boseman as well so um but uh, hopefully we can stave off more Hollywood passings But uh, getting into Snyder Cut, it's hard to talk about this movie (laughs) without talking about the horrid theatrical cut and everything that went into that. So a little background on here. Serious production troubles on the 2017 version of Justice League. Pretty well documented. Zack Snyder had to step aside in post-production after his daughter Autumn's uh, suicide. Really tragic stuff there. So Warner Brothers tapped Joss Whedon, who everybody knows, directed the first two Avengers films, uh, created Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Firefly TV series. So they brought him in to finish production on Justice League. And this is where it's honestly laughable that Zack Snyder gets director credit for the 2017 release of Justice League because Joss Whedon rewrote almost the entire script and reshot most of the film in order to fit Warner Brothers' new two-hour mandate that this the film had to be two hours or less or right around two hours. So everything that Zack Snyder had planned, you know, you could tell in the Snyder Cut, I mean, either got cut out or just wasn't filmed at all and I just thought the fact that he got directing credit was a joke and honestly um, he he didn't deserve that knock Whedon on the other hand was only given co-writing credit but not co-directing even though he rewrote the whole script it's laughable as well Zack Snyder himself has said he has not watched the theatrical version, but he says based on what he's been told that only 25% of his footage was used for the theatrical cut. So pretty interesting there. And of course, uh, if you've seen the hashtag, uh, I stand with Ray Fisher and stuff like that, you are probably aware or know of the allegations against Joss Whedon. He, uh, Evidently, created a pretty hostile workplace. Ray Fisher came forward, I think it was last year, and said, you know, it was just straight up wasn't fun working with Joss. He created a very hostile environment on set. And Jason Momoa and some of the other co stars have sided with him. And Ray Fisher, he's so confident in this that he even invited Joss Whedon to sue him for slander if he thought he was lying. <laughs> Sue my ass, Joss. You think I'm lying? Sue me. And, of course, Joss Whedon uh, has yet to respond to these allegations against him. And Ray Fisher's weren't the only ones against him. Some of the Buffy casting crew have claimed that similar events took place on their show. Now, Ray Fisher didn't get into any specifics, and neither did the Buffy crew. But, uh, unfortunately, in this day and age, and the way things have been going in Hollywood the past few years, we can assume... Uh, you know, probably some sexual harassment was involved. Uh, some language, maybe even some racial stuff. It's, you hate to hear, you hate to see it, but you know, maybe some stuff like that. And you know, look, nobody questions Joss Whedon's talent. Um, you know, co-wrote Toy Story. I mentioned the things he did before. I mean, directed the first two Avengers movies, Buffy, Firefly. So nobody denies his talent, but this is this is really bad for him. And I have no reason, I mean, we have no reason not to believe Ray Fisher and these allegations. I mean, when you say, sue me if you think I'm wrong, and the guy doesn't answer, that's uh, (laughs) that's a pretty big indictment, if you ask me. But yeah, Joss Whedon, yet to respond to those allegations. So uh, maybe uh, looking pretty guilty right now. Um. In the original film that Snyder had planned, Steppenwolf and the Parademons were going to be the villains in Suicide Squad controlling the Enchantress with the Mother Boxes. And Darkseid was going to be the primary antagonist in Justice League. Now, you can find online some early storyboards and drawings of Darkseid uh, coming to Earth, coming to Themyscira and battling the Amazons and the Justice League and even some Green Lanterns. But uh, according to Snyder... At least part of the film was set to explore Bruce Wayne's nightmare, which is the scene in Batman v Superman where Bruce Wayne has a vision of a post-apocalyptic future Gotham, followed by the Flash appearing to tell him that Lois Lane is key and worries that he is too soon in the timeline and warning him. So if you remember that scene from BVS, that was actually kind of exciting because I think that was the first uh, portrayal of Flash that we got to see on screen. And, you know, the nightmare just flat out wasn't in Joss Whedon's Justice League, just wasn't. And it's one of those things where, you know, Marvel did a great job of laying the seeds of the Infinity Stones, you know, laying that groundwork over years and years of films. And, you know, this appears to be their equivalent of the infinity war the nightmare where lois lane is killed superman goes crazy and starts working for dark side and you know just becomes unstoppable becomes his own worst enemy um you know joss cut that out and you know the coherence and the flow of of the mcu that's really what was missing from the dceu And the order they chose to release their movies in, that kind of flustered me too. But, you know, the nightmare, if it's kept in the theatrical cut, makes things more coherent, makes the story flow better. But, you know, Whedon, the schmuck, decided to cut it out. But in the early script for Justice League, folks, the continuation of the nightmare scene had Darkseid use a boom tube to teleport into the Batcave and kill Lois Lane. So... Tough, (laughs) tough, tough beat for Lois Lane and uh, Clark Kent there. And like I said, this would have made Superman susceptible to Darkseid's anti-life equation, which we get heavier reminders of here in the Snyder Cut. And the anti-life equation, folks, the fictional mathematical formula from the comic books for controlling the minds of sentient beings. Pretty powerful stuff, kind of... Much, much like the Infinity Stones, in a way. Uh, with Superman under Darkseid's control, they take over Earth and create the post-apocalyptic future from Wayne's nightmare. Batman and Cyborg work together to create a time machine to send Flash back in time to save Lois and prevent Superman from falling under Darkseid's control. Serious Endgame vibes. <laughs> Serious. Uh, the Flash has two possible destinations in time, one of which resulted in his quote-unquote too-soon speech in Batman v Superman. This version of Justice League was never filmed, and no footage of it exists. And, you know, I'll get into the nightmare a little more in depth later, but um, I thought it might have been the best part of the movie. I thought Jared Leto... Honestly, he saved his take on the Joker in probably five minutes of screen time, probably less. The dynamic between him and Affleck as Joker and Batman in that scene I thought was amazing. It was some of the best stuff that we've seen between the two since The Dark Knight. Obviously, The Dark Knight's on a whole nother level. We're never going to get Bale and Ledger going at it in an interrogation room again, but... This was really damn good, and I loved every second of it. This is, I think, the only part of the movie that I rewound and watched again because I was honestly captivated by it. Nobody denies the thing with Jared Leto's Joker. Nobody denies Leto's talent. You can't. Yeah, you just—it's totally undeniable. But you know, his take on the Joker, especially in Suicide Squad, was at times laughable. Uh, people hated it. Um, it, I thought it was, out of the live-action takes, it was probably the worst. But I thought he totally redeemed himself here in the nightmare sequence. He, he totally did. But other than being a creative failure, the 2017 Justice League was a massive, fucking massive box office bomb. It had a $300 million budget. It's literally one of the most expensive movies ever made. It's in the top 10. I mean, 300 million, folks. That's like, that's ridiculous. And it only made $657 at the box office. And, you know, that might sound like a lot, but typically the rule of thumb is you got to double your budget to even come close to breaking even. And they doubled the budget, but... Not by much. And it was massive losses for the studio. Massive losses for Warner Brothers. Real credibility hit. And for some context on how big of a bomb this was. And how big of a failure this was. Because, you know, Justice League was supposed to be their Avengers. It was supposed to be the DC Extended Universe's Avengers. And so I wrote down for context about how bad that is. Standalone comic book movies... In the MCU and DCEU that outgross Justice League. Iron Man 3, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, number one. Now, I know that's not a standalone, that's a team-up, but if Guardians of the Galaxy is outgrossing Justice League, you have a problem. Doctor Strange, Guardians 2, Spider-Man Homecoming, Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Spider-Man Far From Home, Man of Steel, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and Batman v Superman. Totally embarrassing showing at the box office. <laughs> totally embarrassing. Uh, the state of the DCEU at the time of the Snyder Cuts release. You know, like I said, the order they decided, one of my biggest gripes with the DCEU is the order they decided to release these movies in. I just, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Having Suicide Squad as your third movie makes no sense so first we got man of steel which i really enjoyed i loved it i I loved it a lot bvs which sucks but i will say the ultimate edition the extended cut is actually not bad it's it's i think it's pretty good um it's the only reason i own bvs on blu-ray is for the extended cut That's the only reason Suicide Squad, which sucked Wonder Woman, which was by far their biggest win and probably still is Justice League, which sucked Aquaman, which was a fine movie, a huge boom at the box office made over a billion dollars Shazam, which I thought uh, was pretty average. That's a movie that I thought. You know, when I was watching the theater, I was like, this movie could have ended four different times. Like, (laughs) this this movie's probably 20 minutes longer than it should be. Birds of Prey, which I have not seen, but from everything I've read, was better than expected. And Wonder Woman 1984, which also sucked. So, you know, the, the pretty definition of hit or miss, this franchise, you've got, you know, two good movies, one great movie, um two great movies counting the Snyder Cut. So it's just gonna be very interesting what they decide to do because you know, I've already I've already accepted that twenty seventeen Justice League, that, that's not canon to me anymore. That's not canon to me. The Snyder Cut's canon. You know, Zack Snyder was the guy who was supposed to drive the Justice League ship and you know from really tragic circumstances, he wasn't able to do that. But you just wonder where this franchise would be if a Snyder Cut had come out four years ago. You you just, you really wonder that. But anyway, getting into the movie, Zack Snyder's Justice League, which was released on March 18th, directed by Zack Snyder, produced by Charles Roven and Zack's wife, Deborah Snyder, written by Chris Terrio, who is literally an Academy Award-nominated writer. (laughs) He wrote Argo. Uh, He honestly, I think he may have won that Oscar. Don't quote me on that, but I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but he may have won the Screenplay Oscar in in, uh, 2012. Music by Junkie XL. Cinematography by Fabian Wagner. uh, Edited by David Brenner and starring Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Gal Gadot. Ray Fisher, Ezra Miller, and Jason Momoa. 8.3 out of 10 on IMDb. Three and a half out of four stars on RogerEbert.com. It was reviewed by Matt Zoller Seitz of RogerEbert.com. And here's a quote from Seitz's uh, critique of the movie. Zack Snyder's Justice League runs four hours and two minutes. That's 242 minutes. That's longer than Avatar, Avengers Endgame, The Irishman, Dances with Wolves, Malcolm X, Lawrence of Arabia, or any of the Godfather movies. If it were released to big screens, it would tie Kenneth Branagh's 1996 adaptation of Hamlet for being the longest major studio theatrical release in history. And reader, if it ever, get, if it ever does get released to the theaters, I'll go see it again, just as long as it's an IMAX and there's an intermission. Matt, I fucking agree with you 100%. Uh, if you want to read that whole critique, I thought it was pretty well written, pretty good. Uh, you're going to get the best from RogerHebert.com. I totally agree with him. As soon as this movie comes out on Blu-ray, I'm going to buy it. If there's ever an IMAX release, I'm going. It's I don't care that it was four hours. If there's an intermission, fine. If there isn't, fine. I'm going. <laughs> I was totally rocked by this movie in the best way possible. And it's new things that I enjoyed, that were different from the 2017 release. The final battle uh, was just a lot longer and less rushed. You didn't have that bullshit Russian family that Joss Whedon threw in there that nobody cared about. Um, I read an interview, him describing why he included the family. He wanted a human element. Um, I don't need a human element when the Justice League is fighting parademons. I don't care about some Russian family that I've known for five minutes. I don't care. I don't care, Joss. Uh, if you remember the 2017 version, the sky was like red. And that's just not Snyder-esque. If you've seen Zack Snyder movies, he loves these dark color palettes, these dark blues and grays and sometimes blacks. He, he you I mean, you know a Zack Snyder movie when you see it based on the color palette, based on the way it's shot. I mean, think, think about uh, 300. Think about Watchmen. Those movies just look dark. They look dark to match the feel of the film, and that's exactly what happened here. I mean, there's definitely a lot of moments in the Snyder Cut where the tone's upbeat, the tone is pretty positive, but for most of it, it's not somber, but it's serious, and it takes itself serious, and I I like that. That's something the 2017 version just didn't do uh steppenwolf gets beheaded in the final battle he loses his fucking head that was awesome when superman comes in and <laughs> takes one of his horns off with his heat vision that was awesome uh it had me when wonder woman beheads steppenwolf my jaw literally dropped I, I could not believe it i couldn't believe that they went that far uh, that is one of the reasons the R rating was secured for this movie, and I loved, it. I, I just loved it. Another thing I liked, Martian Manhunter showing up. You know, Martian Manhunter was planned to show up before Snyder had to step aside, and now this is another one of those things, one of these Easter eggs that could have been laid if Whedon had not taken control. You know, this would have connected this with BVS with. Man of Steel, it would have been some interconnectedness that the DCEU desperately needed. Steppenwolf just looks better, just looks way better. He, I mean, in the the 2017 version, he looked like a schmuck. Um, he he looked terrible, the CGI was terrible, it was very well documented how bad it was. Uh, Sierra Hines, who portrayed him, you know, did a fine job, it wasn't his fault, he looked like shit, but again. Steps up to the plate here, does a great job. Uh, Setting up the Aqu- Aquaman movie. A lot of great foreshadowing in the Snyder Cut that would have set up the Aquaman movie, which came out about a year after the 2017 release. You know, you get the scene with Volko, played by Willem Dafoe. You get more scenes with Mira. You just get more scenes underwater, and that's, you know, if it was up to me, the Aquaman movie would have come out before this, but... You know, in Whedon's version, we didn't get any hints or foreshadowing of the Aquaman movie. And in here, we get a lot of it. We get a ton of it. And I think Aquaman might have been better critically received if that was the case back in 2017. And the biggest version, the biggest uh, update to this version, folks, Cyborg. Cyborg is the heart of the team. Without question, he's arguably been through the most out of anyone on the team he was totally railroaded in 2017 both the character and ray fisher just totally totally railroaded he was sidelined and he's probably the most emotionally engaging character here and in, in, in the Snyder Cut I was invested in his story I wanted to know where it went it made me excited for a possible cyborg movie and that's just something I would not have said four years ago it was awesome and maybe the most awesome part of this, folks, the black suit Superman. Superman uh, is a badass. I know, unfortunately, when he showed up in the last one, he, uh, <laughs> he was sporting a CGI-removed mustache and his usual red and blue costume. And here, that just wasn't the case. He was sporting black, and he looked badass. The flash and iris scene. Um, that was visually amazing. And also funny. And Iris, you know, she was supposed to be in the first version, but uh, was cut out in order to meet the two-hour time limit. That was a great scene. You know, great insight into Flash. Great insight into that whole universe of DC. Just awesome. And the nightmare. You know, the nightmare... I said it earlier. I think it was maybe the best part of the movie. It, It was just really engaging, really insightful into the dynamic between this universe's Batman and Joker. It was just it, it was it was great. If you can find that on YouTube if you've seen the movie, just please do. Please please do that. I might do it after this. In fact, I probably will. It was awesome. And then of course, Dark Side. Dark Side um one of the biggest differences from the theatrical cut in this um unquestionably the big bad of the DC Universe and probably the most physically imposing of Superman's villains. I don't think that's even a question. So, those are some big differences I enjoyed. If you were wondering about the ratio uh, of this movie, that's because it was filmed in IMAX and they were not able to, you know, fit that onto HBO Max. So, It is what it is. I didn't didn't think it took away from the movie too much. I said at the top that I have this ranked at the top of Zack Snyder's filmography. I just think it is it's you can just tell it's his passion project. I mean, I I, I could tell that. He, He cares about these characters. One thing that was never in doubt about Zack Snyder was he cares about the characters and he understands the material. And I'm just really... That is the feel-good story of all of this. That this dude got to tell a story he'd been working on for years and years. And uh, like I said, I just... You got the feeling this was his passion project. And he loved every minute of making it. And it showed. It showed on the screen. So I've got this number one in his works. Number two, I've got Watchmen. Watchmen is a landmark story in comics lore. You don't need me to tell you that. Um, if you haven't read it, I highly suggest it. It's it's awesome. And the movie... The movie was pretty polarizing when it came out. I personally liked it. Um, I own it on Blu-ray. It's awesome on Blu-ray. But, you know, it's pretty polarizing. People thought it was a note-for-note note, just movie version of the book, which I didn't get why they thought that was a bad thing. I mean, the book is a classic, but they didn't like he, the way he took some certain characters and, you know, that's fine, I guess. But I, I enjoyed the movie man of steel. I talked about, I love that movie 300. I have it number four 300, just a phenomenally looking movie. And, you know, a great adaptation of one of Frank Miller's works. Frank Miller, if you don't know, wrote, 300 he wrote sin city he wrote on daredevil for i think like eight years uh he wrote the dark knight returns which is probably the definitive batman story so he's this was just a great adaptation of 300 then i have dawn of the dead this was a remake and this was Zack snyder's first uh Directorial outing. This came out in 2004. I've only seen it once, but I enjoyed every second of it. It's just a fun, just a fun movie. And then, dead last is Batman v Superman. I did mention the Ultimate Edition, but this is clearly uh, the weakest of all Zack Snyder's works. I think when we did our director hall of fame way back when, I had Zack Snyder in. I think I said he barely made it. Now I think he's solidly in. Um, He's a very polarizing director. I mean, there's a lot of those, but I think this vaulted him to, you know, at least in my eyes, another level. Um, I really didn't think he was capable of making a movie this epic. And quite frankly, this is good. And it was great to see. I have some winners and losers of this movie. My big winner is Ray Fisher. Ray Fisher, like I said, totally fucked in the 2017 Justice League for multitudes of reasons. I mean, Joss Whedon, you know, talked about that. Uh, The script rewrites, all that stuff contributed to why Ray Fisher's Cyborg wasn't uh, totally involved in that. But he's the big winner here. I mean, people look at Cyborg differently now. Cyborg was a laughing stock, both for his CGI and his story. Now, I think he's pretty revered. I mean, based on what I saw... On Twitter and social media, after the movie came out that night, I saw people praising Cyborg, praising Ray Fisher, and that's just not what they were doing in 2017. They were shitting on him. Uh, it was like a pissing contest to see who could make Cyborg the bigger joke. So it was it was great. Uh, another winner, Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller. Uh, at times in the Joss Whedon cut, was annoying. And I never felt he was annoying in this. The the scene where he runs and turns back time to save the Justice League was visually stunning. It was pretty deep emotionally. And you know, the only time we got that with him was when he went to visit his dad. So it's one thing this scene did for me was it showed the bond between him and the other members of the justice league, you know, even though they have only been together for, you know, maybe a week at that point in time in the movie, um, you could tell he really cared about him and he really cared about humanity and that the act was, was great. And it really just a awesome, awesome showing from Ezra Miller. I mean, I don't think anybody doubted he was the right guy to play Flash, but this really just confirmed it that he was. Ben Affleck is my other winner. Ben Affleck, uh, I have always thought, is a really good Batman. Now, uh, there was something laughable going around Twitter that he was better than Christian Bale. That's just not the case. But I'll go this far and say he's second after Christian Bale. I will... I'll plant that flag, and I'll stand by it. He's a good Bruce Wayne. I like the take of him being a seasoned 20-year vet of crime fighting. I think he's a good Bruce Wayne. I think he's a good Batman. He looks good in the suit. Ben Affleck just looked good in this movie, and it was some quality acting. And honestly, I'm not afraid to say it, one of the best performances of his career. I think the best performance of his career is Gone Girl, and I think after that, it's Good Will Hunting. But fuck! I might put this over Argo in the town. I mean, this. I might be too far. I might listen to this later and be like, "God, I yeah, can't believe I said that shit." But uh, right now, I think it's third behind Gone Girl and Goodwill Hunting. I mean, he's he really, definitely his best performance as Batman. Just it was just I, he's one of my big winners. Another winner, Jared Leto. I mentioned why, and then Warner Brothers. A uh, big win for them with DC. They they needed this bad, and then Junkie XL. Uh, one thing I didn't mention earlier, Junkie XL did um, the music for this, and his score was uh, thrown out the window by Joss Whedon and replaced by Danny Elfman's. Danny Elfman, one of the goat film composers, but it didn't. I when I rewatched the 2017 cut and prep for the pod. I didn't really feel like the Elfman score fit. It wasn't bad, by any means, objectively. You know, I'm the king of objectivity on the Running Hook Network. Objectively, it was a good score, but it just didn't fit the story and the movie. I didn't. I didn't think. Junkie XL here definitely did. He co-did the score with... Uh, Hans Zimmer on BVS And that was a pretty good score That was one of the bright spots of the movie I thought So Junkie XL Another one of my big winners Big losers Joss Whedon Uh, Massive L for him And very well Could have ended his career And another L Um, This guy has taken L's on the show For really since it began Jesse Eisenberg Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor Not a lot of screen time but he makes the most of it and sucks in every minute of it. And that brings me to my pitch here on Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor far and away the worst part of BVS. Um, you can make a case the worst part of the DCEU in general. He's just he's horrible. And it's all because of Jesse Eisenberg. So I am going to pitch an unlikely candidate to play Lex Luthor in a recasting. And here it is, folks. Nicolas Cage as Alexander Luther. You will be hard-pressed to find many supervillain castings as bad as Jesse Eisenberg's take on Lex Luthor. Of all the things that made Batman v Superman a failure, the travesty that was Eisenberg's performance might stand out above all the rest. Could you blame bad writing? I suppose... Could you make the case that the plot was so convoluted that it wouldn't have mattered who played Lex? Uh, Maybe. But one thing is for certain, folks. Eisenberg's Luther is bland, boring, and weird in the worst ways possible. If you listen to cinema regularly, you know by now that Jesse Eisenberg has taken as many shots as the 11th man on the varsity team who gets to play at the end of a 30-point blowout. But it's my firm belief that these shots at Jesse's expense are totally warranted. Everything about his performance is unsatisfactory and, quite frankly, folks, a total joke. Luther is one of the most revered villains in all of comic book lore. You really don't need me to tell you this. And Eisenberg managed to make him look like a scared little kid who just got told that Santa wasn't real. In all honesty, give me Colin Farrell as Bullseye over Eisenberg's Luther. Give me Dane DeHaan as the Green Goblin. Y'all remember that? Dane DeHaan as the Green Goblin in Amazing Spider-Man 2? Terrible. But give me him over Lex. Give me Topher Grace as Venom over this. Anything but this. Anything. Ever since Eisenberg was announced as Lex, I did not agree with the casting. Only a fool could deny, though, that Eisenberg's portrayal of Mark Zuckerberg in The Social Network was anything but great. But why was it great? Because Eisenberg had all the mannerisms and attitude of what Zuckerberg was described as. As time went on, though, I think we all realized that this performance may have been an anomaly. Gradually, it became clear that Eisenberg didn't have any range as an actor and was really playing the same dude in all of his movies going forward. That's why I was so shocked that he was chosen to play a villain with as much depth as Lex Luthor. Another problem, I thought, was the younger version of Lex. I thought that the DCEU's version of the LexCorp CEO should have been a lot older. Somebody who had more experience than Superman himself. Played by a more seasoned and more talented actor than Eisenberg. Which is why I am advocating for Nicolas Cage to play Lex Luthor. Nick Cage has taken a lot of heat from critics for acting in a wide variety of films, which they often act like is a bad thing. In my opinion, it's pretty admirable. Cage has an Oscar he has a fucking Academy Award he could easily act like he's above projects like Mandy or the color out of space or face off but he doesn't the thing I really love about Cage is that he never half asses a performance he never mails in a showing he always goes all in sometimes to a laughable extent but you know Cage will bring energy and entertainment to any role he touches I think Cage could strike the perfect balance between cartoonishness, which is what these movies are based on after all, and depth. He wouldn't embarrass the character of Lex with the monotonous and stale portrayal that Eisenberg brought. I sincerely believe Nicolas Cage would do right by Lex Luthor and make the role his own, thereby lifting some of these movies, namely BVS, to higher standards. So that's my pitch for Nicolas Cage as Lex Luthor. Um, I don't think they're gonna ever recast this. I think it's too far gone. But you know, if it was up to me, I'd pick Nicolas Cage. I would. It's you know, Nicolas Cage is a guy who you know a lot of people think is not a great actor. I I think he's a good actor. I he's one of those guys for me that. If Nick Cage does a movie, I'm going to watch that movie because he never mails in a performance. He always brings it. So, that's my pitch for Nick Cage. Agree with it, don't agree with it. I don't care, but I, I think it'd be fun at least, which is more than I can say for Eisenberg. And finally, folks, the mailbag. The mailbag, uh, we have one entry today, and it's from a man who... It's taking some heat on the pod. Jim D from Madison Square Garden writes Mr. Griffiths, I just want to say that the treatment you have given my respectable and fine organization here in New York has been downright despicable. How dare you chastise me for dragging a once proud franchise to the depths of hell? How dare you poke fun at our successful run of five playoff appearances in 20 years? How dare you, sir? I'm writing in because I think I should have a chance to retcon the past 20 years of Knicks basketball, much like Zack Snyder got to retcon his own movie. Instead of giving Phil Jackson the reins, I would give someone much more credible control over the Knicks. Someone like Gar Foreman. Yeah, that'll show him. I propose that the NBA allow me a director's cut of 21st century Knicks basketball and give these fans what they deserve. a Stephon Marbury, Lou Williams backcourt. Well, uh Jim I, Jim Dolan, uh <laughs> I don't I don't think you should be given be given a retcon. Uh, you 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 you've sucked. You've shown no ability to uh run a franchise to direct anything, and Zack Snyder has. And that's one of the key differences between you guys, I would say. But uh that's all I got for you folks. Snyder cut. Um. Hope you enjoyed the monologue. Plenty of stuff um, out here on the Running Hook Network. We've got the Running Hook with Alex Burr and the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour with Alex and Dylan. Dylan was on the sidelines for a couple days after some surgery, but he's back. And he'll be making an appearance on cinema soon, too. Uh, favorite movie series. He has yet to decide which movie he wants to talk about, but he will be on here After Alex Burr, who will be on talking about Goodwill Hunting, a movie I rewatched last night. And honestly, it's pretty fucking close to being a perfect movie. It's not much wrong with it at all. Then we've got Lynn Sandy with Caleb Lynn and Bryce Shaddy. They're taking a little break because Caleb was covering a lot of March Madness. So he earned a well-deserved break. They'll be back soon, though, with NBA and college. So keep an eye out for that. Top with Devin Voss and Ryan Gregory. I'm sure they'll be getting a draft prep out here soon. And a lot of signings in the NFL as well. So they'll be on top of that. And the Battleground with Bryce Shaddy, J.D. Hall, and moderated by me. We just put out a combo episode with the Running Hook uh, last week. And I think if we don't get one out this week, we'll get one out early next week. So stay on the lookout for those, and here on cinema, I mentioned the Goodwill Hunting episode with Alex as part of the favorite movie series. I will also have my friend Cooper Ogle on to, to preview the Oscars, which are on April twenty sixth, I believe, April twenty fifth, Sunday, April twenty fifth. Um, we'll do our best to guess what the Academy's going to do this year, and then. Uh, Let's see, what else do we have here? Fast 4, Fast and Furious, The Road to F9 this week with Bryce and Devin. So check that out. And as always, folks, thank you for listening.